Congratulations, Luis. Thank How you. How do you feel just now? I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. That's not my problem, that's their problem. <laughs> On that note, I would also like to announce myself as the guy on Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 47. I'm your host, Andre Harrison. And with me as ever, Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. Hello, Dre. I know it like, well, you know, we were struggling with things to talk about for tonight, weren't we? We were. Thanks, Motorsport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we've got shit to talk about. Can I just say, by the way, we are going to come off... I mean, people have the audacity to complain about smarky wrestling fans. Oh, my Christ. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that doesn't happen in motorsport. I think today proves it. Without question. It's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, we'll talk about that much more in-depthly in a moment. But uh, also on the other side of, of, of the coin, making his 40th appearance on Motorsport 101, we're sending him a giant... Uh, what's, what's the wedding anniversary? 40. It's Ruby, isn't it? We'll, we'll, we'll send him a ruby-coloured piece of paper. It's fine, kick, <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> and in the words of discount Eric Bischoff, Adam Blavier, what just happens? <laughs> <laughs> the logical answer to that question, King, is everything. Everything. Yes, yes, everything. <laughs> everything. And uh, we've had... I mean, okay, again, as you've already probably clocked on by now, it's not Monday as we record this. It's actually Sunday, July the 3rd. We mentioned this on Twitter a couple of times that we had to record this today because our schedules are a little bit conflicty going forward for the next couple of weeks. But um, we're recording this one now and we're still pretty raw from the events of Austria and from London. It's been a pretty crazy weekend in motorsport, to say the least. Um... So we'll be talking a lot about that. A couple of updates to really keep you guys posted with first. As we said on last week's show, if you are a Patreon backer at any level, you will get these episodes early through the month of July. And that includes something pretty special we may or may not have cooked up for this week. Just, just, you know, stay tuned for that, maybe. Um, We'll talk more about that in depth, hopefully, next week. I don't want to say anything too much about that, as uh, Paul Pogba scores his first goal. The Euros to put France up 2-0. Good for them. Uh, But also on top of that, we also like to announce we are on Redbubble. So if you want to buy some really cool Motorsport 101 merchandise on there, pillows, shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff... If you want to do that, you can. It's another way of supporting the podcast and, you know, keeping the lights on. Uh, that that would be nice. Um, so that, that, that's also an option. You can throw that one out there too. So if you're interested, if, you know, if you want to support us and you maybe don't like the monthly program of Patreon, you can, you can support us that way. So you can stay tuned for that. Anywho, we're going to talk about the Austrian Grand Prix and we're going to talk about the London Formula E season finale and a bit of season two in general um, because, yeah, that was the season finale and we'll talk a little bit about that as a, as a broad focus, um, to say the least. Um, but, uh, you know, um, actually, yeah, 
Pause it just one second. I'm just going to close my bedroom door because Kendra came in. I'm, I'm unaware. One sec. <laughs> she heard we were down a guest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, John, yeah, Johnson, you edit that out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're going to talk about the Austrian Grand Prix and obviously we're going to talk about the London Season 2 finale of Formula E and just talk about Season 2 in general because it's been a very intriguing season. And we've got some of your questions involved as well, so stick around for that. Um, so hopefully we'll get through all, get through all of that and die then out and uh, have a decent podcast, or at least that's the idea anyway, given we're all still mentally unhinged. Um <laughs> So let's talk about the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, won by Lewis Hamilton, his 46th Grand Prix win. It was probably the quietest and arguably flukiest win of Hamilton's career, to say the least. Uh, quietest? I wouldn't be so sure well, on that one. Well, quietest in terms of maybe leading, because, you know, it looked like it was going to be a very straightforward Hamilton win for the most part for the first, let's call it, two-thirds, maybe. Or the first third of the race, because I mean, he was the leading car on Ultrasofts. And then Rosberg... Rosberg had a brilliant drive today until the final lap. And it's a shame that that's going to get lost in the shuffle because Rosberg was fantastic this race. Coming through from sixth on the grid after that grid penalty and, you know, was leading the race, was looking really good for the win after taking, making the early two-stopper switch. Um, they were trying the one. It didn't work. They put him on the two instead. And it turns out Rosberg was set to take the win until the final lap where Nico Rosberg had suffered a break-by-wire failure. Hamilton had... They've got a really good drive onto the back straight. They go towards turn two. Uh, Rosberg's brakes completely fail. He, he collides into the side of Hamilton on the side pod. Hamilton runs wide. He's able to continue. Rosberg has, has got a clearly broken car. He limps it home in fourth. Hamilton goes on to win. Verstappen steals a podium alongside uh, Kimi Raikkonen. They both get on the podium in second and third as a result. But... Um, King, it's another Mercedes collision heard around the world as if Catalunya's wasn't bad enough. But uh, this one, a final lap clash, something you, you almost never see in Formula One. This is this is massive. Yeah, this this is massive. Just just the podium afterwards just told you how massive it was that Lewis Hamilton, you know, openly got booed and Massive booze. Massive booze and oh, what was his quote, exact quote that he gave into response to the presenter about about the noise? That it, that it's not his problem; it's their problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and apparently, it didn't help that the Austrian um, trackside commentators had said it was Hamilton's fault, and I think that might be a big part of the reason as to why they got booed. Um, because the trackside guy blatantly said it was Hamilton's fault when it really wasn't on, on this one. That might, that might be part of the reason why um, Hamilton brushed it off, hence the creative intro we're using for this episode, um, to say the least. But, I mean, it's a hard one to scale because obviously this is the kind of incident that's going to split Twitter, like, massively. We, we got, <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, and uh, we, we got, I mean, we got Catalonia and... You know, we, I mean, we got we got Catalini's incident. That was bad enough, and that turned out to be more of a you know a technical issue that caused an issue that caused an issue that caused a crash. More basically, uh, more than though people are saying, yeah, as, you know, that that's the best way I could explain it without without turning into Anthony Davidson. You know, being six inches shorter and being a lot more sensible when it comes to Formula One. <laughs> um, this one, not the same thing. I mean, Johnson. Like just lay it out on the table. What's your take on this? Because this is just ugh. and and it's, it, it's it's the kind of incident where you just go, well, 
somebody's going to pick a side here. <laughs> it seems like the two sides are either A, it was a racing incident, Rosberg's brakes had failed, or B, how friggin' dare he? Hamilton's been screwed despite winning, and Rosberg is a terrible driver who ran him off the road. How dare he? Yeah, but it, it, Rosberg Wait, is... That? I can... Is... I can... <laughs> Go on. This is clearly splitting the, the, the Twitter community even more than the European Union is. No. Oh god, I thought we were, I thought we'd move past the I Brexit. I thought we were through now. all this, King. <laughs> I can interrupt that. I can just hear wait, that's the buzzer on my oven. Anyone want some hot takes? I'm about to serve up some hot takes. Oh jeez. Um is that what the kids call them? I think it is. Yes, what yes. expressing your opinion just after something happens. That's now a hot take, motherfucker. <laughs> um Well first up, discussions about the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who else claimed that they had brake failure or brake problems? Matt Kenseth when he was ploughing into the side of Joey Logano at Martinsville. So, pardon me for being a tiny bit cynical on that one. Just, oh, tiny. Just a little bit. You make it the just, NASCAR analogy. You mean you have but, but oh, if, I'm full of NASCAR they, references for you. Go if on. he clearly didn't have brake issues, he would have been penalized even more. Have he would have been penalized, you know, even more severely from the stewards because stewards actually get access to the team's telemetry. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, you know, put it like that. There's a possibility. But um, in terms of the instant, uh, first up, I don't think uh, there's much of a dispute. On, well, basically, I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as people are making out. I think it was... Mm, there's mostly mostly Rosberg's fault in this one, but can you really blame him? Uh, basically, he's... You know, we've talked about this before. Previous two seasons at Mercedes, he has been effectively made to feel like he's the one that Hamilton can basically go, you're my bitch because you're not beating me for the championship. Uh, we've seen those big those big plays in the first corner at like USA last year, Japan, you know, these, these big power plays that Hamilton have, have put on him. And it seemed this year that Rosberg had kind of turned the corner and made almost a promise to himself to go, no, nah, you're not, I'm not going to be fooled again. It's not going to happen again. So exactly, exactly. So I don't doubt <clears throat> that if the situations, the roles were reversed, exactly the same thing would have happened. Uh, I think what in the end ended up happening is that both guys went in aggressively. Rosberg probably meant to block off the line for Hamilton, force him out wide. Absolutely fine. Hamilton decided to go, no, you know what? You're not squeezing me out in here. Tried to turn in. Both of them misjudged the situation, so they turned into each other. Um, and I actually feel a little bit for Rosberg because it was unlucky that his car was way more damaged. Um, in any other situation, then he maybe holds on for the win, and it's Hamilton who's... There's, you can literally see the steam coming out of his ears from the other end of pit lane when he comes back to the garage. Um, it was... Uh, in the end, desperately unlucky. To be honest with you, I don't... T t you know, Twitter kind of proved itself as a, a bit of a poor place to discuss motorsport immediately after because everyone's emotional, everyone's heated up. Of course, the fanboys are picking up their pitchforks on either side. And to be honest with you, what I found most hilarious was the moralizing from the Hamilton fanboy camp um, <laughs> about about this move and about this, uh, oh, Rosberg, you dastardly, you, just, uh, you got what you deserve, damn you. Hashtag justice, hashtag karma, hashtag Brexit. I don't know. Um, and it just, oh my God, it was sickening. I'm like, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, were well, you the guys, you're the ones who have been feeding the whole, he's better psychologically, he's just the best, God save our gracious, etc. So, like, don't come to me with your borderline jingoism here when your boy has 
some of his own medicine served to him and it doesn't taste like uh, kids age level cowpole which is rather nice as anyone will know yeah. uh, this tastes like lem sip lemon drink oh. um, it was sour as anything although in Hamilton's case he took it down he necked it and it came out it worked alright for him so it was a very strange incident wasn't it but uh, I just I didn't understand well I, I do understand but I was I found the whole groping and and gloating after the fact from the Hamilton fanboy camp pretty tedious to be honest with you. I'm like yeah. yeah you bought it one but seriously don't try and take the moral high ground on this one you have none your moral high ground is a small kind of badger mound that's crumbling you don't really have any to be honest with you yeah, so I, can't lie. Uh, it, I mean sorry to clearly cut you Johnson it's one of those things where it's like I saw people legitimately digging up clips from like Bahrain last season where Rosberg had overtaken people aggressively and they're using this incident is a stick to beat him with. Now, for me personally, for for one, I feel like the whole incident should have been a wash, given that Rosberg had a brake failure and you're not going to act like your normal self when you've got a brake failure. Now, I know... And you're, you know, fighting for the win. Exactly, on the final lap. And it's something that Johnny Herbert never experienced because Johnny Herbert was never very good as a driver in the first place. <laughs> 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 Can we also point out as well, when was the last time there was a genuine battle for the win on the last lap of a Formula 1 Grand Prix? Long, long uh, time. God. We're talking ages, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Surely that should be the story here. You'd think that, but of course there's obviously more to it than that. because this is for- But of course, drama alert, we all turn into Keemstar. Yeah, because fuck that guy. But, uh, That's it, we don't because he's a wanker, yeah, but yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a serious situation where you just go... You look, you look at the situation in, 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 you know, everyone's got a take, everyone's got an opinion, and for me, this is a very unique circumstance, something we've not seen for a long, long time in Formula 1, a legitimate final lap clash for the win, and it reminds me a lot of MotoGP, for instance, and Seti Gimenao, and the incidents he got into with Valentino Rossi, where it was pretty much... The race control pretty much washed their hands of it. Any any controversial incident like that that went down to the final corner, if there was a barge, if there was contact, race control was very much hands-off. They had the attitude of let the riders decide it themselves, basically. We're not going to punish a guy for being what they called overly aggressive. And this is, this is the point I want to make on here about overly aggressive. I had a discussion about this with one of those same Hamilton fanboys that was, that was going out of his way to try and paint Rosberg like he's something he's not. And I said to him, what does too aggressive mean? Given the context of the rulebook, how the rulebook is interpreted, and fan opinions on the internet, and often, and often on the internet, they, they can act as if they're judge, jury, and executioner. You know, what, what, can, what is being too aggressive in Formula One these days? Like, I thought we liked seeing drivers show their aggressive side and do anything to win, because I think... Often or often than not, F1 is, is a conflict of narratives on so many different occasions. I mean, we saw it earlier this weekend with, with, with the sausage curbs outside Turn 8, where I was like, oh, well, this is too dangerous. Then Will Buxton's out here flying the flag saying, oh, this is perfect, you know? How something that can wreck a car if you cheat? And it's like, no. <laughs> like, that's, that's not how anything should work in sport. Where, you know, you, you, you cheat, you break your car. No, 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 no. That, that, that shouldn't be a thing either. That's a whole... It's thing. a little bit harsh, given we're talking about motor racing drivers who are the very definition of pushing something to the limit if it will get them an advantage. And we like that. Normally, we like seeing drivers do that. We want... No, no, no. Dre, Dre. People, people's favourite drivers 
They like it when their favorite driver does that. They yeah. don't like it when their opponent of their favorite driver does it back to them, because then it's, oh my God, disgraceful. You got what you deserved, hashtag karma. Yeah, it, it, like, it, I, I, I've, I've often accused the Hamilton fan base of, of having double standards and, and you know having a different set of rules when their guy's the victim. Uh, and I mentioned this before with Dirty Air. Remember, King? We did it on episode 20, and it was like a year... It was this very Grand Prix last year where we said yeah. Merckx's own team policy means the driver that leads into turn one wins about 80% of the time. And people didn't notice that until Brazil, when it was Hamilton who was the guy that was getting screwed at Brazil because apparently the, the, he couldn't pass around Brazil because the air was so dirty. So... It's the same deal here. What is too aggressive in Formula One? We don't know what the we like. Finding a concrete line for this kind of thing is impossible, because there's so many different contexts and there's so many different, you know, there's so many different opinions on where they think that line should be. That you're going to get conflict like this because no one knows for sure, and it's not entirely our fault as fans either. Like I said. Things like stewarding, things like how the rulebook is implemented, often are taken out of context, are put into context again, uh, and then and they're used as weapons. And, and there's no consistency because stewards change every race. So, of course, you're gonna you're gonna get these toss-ups as well. But, I mean, King, like, take these bag of stakes and try and lay them out straight for me because this is just this is just this is chaos. Like. Like, there's so many narratives conflicting with each other here that I feel that I'm going to be sick at this rate because it's it's just all going off. And it's like, I think we as fans, I argue, are kind of confused sometimes as to what, like, what's legal and what isn't. And, and that's the kind of feeling I get watching this incident back. Yeah, I mean, uh, like... Generally speaking, what goes down as aggressive, the line between aggressive and too aggressive is mainly intent, and you can't tell that, you know, via telemetry or video footage or anything. It's mm. it's also very objective, isn't it? Yeah, it's extremely objective. You can't just look at a situation and say, yeah, he did that on purpose, because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Exactly, like we don't know when, like you don't know what's going through the man's mind. We're not. I should say subjective. My apologies. Yeah, yeah subjective. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. We get to a saying, but yeah, like I said, it's like we don't know what the driver is thinking, and we often forget as much as this is a mechanical sport and motorsport plays by a totally different set of rules and totally different set of ideals compared to other sports. We often, I think. I think it's fair to say, gentlemen, we look for a lot more of the human element in this sport because the technology is so incredible. Yes. Because, you know, it's easy. I mean, how many... And that probably absolutely explains people's fears about autonomous car racing. Exactly. And autonomous cars in general. Indeed. And, and then it goes it goes back to that. It goes back to, um, for example, like, we often... I think we crave the human element of this sport. We often criticise the sport for not having enough characters like the good old days. We often criticise this sport for, you know, the tech being too strong. We, you, know, you should try and put it back in the hands of the driver because the driver is all we've got. Like, it's hard for people to relate to, to F1 sometimes. I mean, how many times have you probably heard a casual sports fans go, oh, I don't like F1. It's just them going around the same circle over and over again. Yeah, exactly. 
and to be fair, that is what it is. And for some, it's like pro wrestling. For some people, some people are just not going to get it, in my opinion. And that's fine. Like, Dude, you're talking to a NASCAR guy. I am very used to the whole, you're just not going to get this is entertaining, are you? Of course. And for me personally, I'm not a massive NASCAR fan, but I have tremendous respect for the drivers involved. And I often. And to be fair with you, the point we're making is probably even more pertinent to NASCAR because the cars are so similar. Yes. So there's not really that much of, I mean, from the paint schemes and everything. Series. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And same with IndyCar. So the drivers have to be the stars. They have to carry the whole focus. But it's fascinating how in F1, we have the team element. We have the interesting, you know, the technical element with all the teams. But the drivers are still the, you know, hyped up to be the absolute superstars. Because talking about tech and fortune on a large level is so boring. So we, 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 we're drawn into this human element. And that... Unless you're Sam Collins and you can make it interesting. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're absolutely right. People people are humans. We relate to human stories. Of course. And, I mean, let's talk about Nico Rosberg's video blog for a minute because we, we watched his video. Oh, mate, you want emotion. Yeah, it went, it went live about 30 minutes before we started this recording right now. And... All aboard the fields train. Yeah, I mean, you could see Rosberg was very emotional. He was. He seemed deflated. He seemed genuinely upset that, that what had happened. Um, he knows that this hurts because it was a race that he seemed like he was about to cakewalk. He was in complete control until the final lap of that race. And it's cruel that, you know, what was going to be a plus seven swing for his championship has now turned into a minus 10. I'm sorry, a, min a minus 13, I should say, because he'd get 12 points for fourth. But it, it's, he could see he, the raw emotion. You could see the instant reaction. He was, he was devastated. And, you know, it's it's not ideal for Rosper because what's next on the calendar? Silverstone this week coming up now is is, is going to be the next round, and that is Hamilton Land basically. He's yeah. going to walk into that about as popular as Shawn Michaels going into Montreal, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 not ideal. It's like it's 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 walking into the valley of the shadow of death and making <laughs> fear evil at this point but you could see how emotional he was you could see that, that, that this, this was rough and nobody wants to be in a situation like this where they're responsible for an accident that you know hurt them so much in a race but that's the thing it didn't really do that you know, this 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 incident cost them eight points well, do you know what's interesting about this all, Dre? Well, we're talking about this. We're talking about the human story. I think we as uh, people, you know, you know, uh, fans on social media and, you know, media, uh, us in the sort of realm that we are, we talk about the racing, we, we are an entertainment medium as well. I think we are very quick to almost throw up an us and them kind of in terms of the distance between us and the people competing in the sport so it's very easy when a race goes down the toilet for someone to go oh get wrecked so and so oh screw you Rosberg you deserve that blah blah justice and it's kind of pantomime almost but it's like you do need to remember these are actual human beings involved as well Rosberg has just lost a, a race that he knows could have been a massive further step forward towards the first champ world championship for him he is going to be emotional. And at that point, when you see that, you kind of go, okay, the, the jokes are over now. Let's, let's understand what's actually been happening here. Let's understand if we're going to glorify the human element, we do need to remember they are also 
just human at the end of the day as well. Do you know what I mean? And and some of the narratives regarding Rosberg being a dirty driver, I find complete horse manure. The guy we were this is the same guy we were we were accusing of being too passive less than a year ago after all the bar- hasn't got a strong outs- enough mental after, game after, after all the barge outs that Hamilton had given him at Turn One across this season. Exactly, we were criticizing Rosberg for being too passive, and the one time he's, he actually responds. He's now apparently too aggressive and he has to be punished. I, I, Let's be honest here. Can you imagine had he not done anything at turn two and Hamilton had passed him round the outside for the win? Just how quickly would Sky Sports have gone, oh my God, Rosberg has not got the mental game. He gave that up way too easily. I'll, I'll, he rolled over for Hamilton. I'll, I'll go one further, Johnson. If the roles are reversed, how, how would the narrative change? You'd be probably hearing a lot more chance of it was the desperate act of a racer trying to defend on the last lap, and mm. and he probably wouldn't mention the fact that you know the fact that Hamilton had a brake failure would be mentioned a hell of a lot more. Yeah. I guarantee you this because this is this is the nature of Formula One now, where everything revolves around Lewis Hamilton, and Hamilton knows it. Like I I I. I I didn't give him enough credit for this earlier in the year when I was well after Russia, and it was Sarah Connors that kind of put me instead about this where. The man's not an idiot. He's not naive. He's not that stupid. We, like the guy is trying. The guy talks on interviews about trying to build the brand around himself and trying to take himself beyond Formula One, which is great. I yeah. like that. I like that a lot because F1 is kind of an us versus them kind of sport, and it is a very niche sport in the grand scheme of things. And it's hard to break out from that mold without question in motorsport. It's very, very hard. Very few people can do that. Maybe Valentino Rossi might be the only other man in that in that ballpark quite frankly yep. given his popularity but he's not an idiot he knows exactly what buttons to push he knows that he's not like he knows that you know, he's got the biggest fan base in the sport behind him and he and his influence is so massive in this sport now where anything revolving him is going to get ugly whether it helped him or whether it was against him like if lewis hamilton himself is coming out here king and saying that this is an incident that's not controversial, it just happened, and it's not a big deal. Why do you feel like half his fans feel the need to defend him so hard? Like, this is just what I don't get, because, like, the capes are out in full force right now for Hamilton in an incident that he actually benefited from. How crazy is that? <laughs> because, because these fans feel like if anything is done wrong to their guy, they feel like they themselves are under attack. Yeah, it's like it's like if Hamilton has a problem, it's a personal attack because he's a fan. That's what it feels like right now. It's almost like them signs you see at wrestling shows. I remember first seeing it. I think it was um, CM Punk up against John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011, and it was like if uh, if John Cena wins, we riot. Yeah. It was like it's like that sort of mentality, and that's why, to be honest with you, we make a lot of jokes about. Uh, pro wrestling it's fascinating how there's actually quite a lot of similarities between that and top level sport especially motorsport exactly and uh, as Dimitri Pye puts the final nail in Iceland's coffin in their dream run as they go 3-0 up I'm going to put the final nail in the coffin for my friendly relationship with the Hamilton fan base you guys need to do better if you're a Hamilton (laughs) fan out here listening to this podcast right now listen to me and listen to me good your boy's not all that bad like, I'll give him this. Your boy can fight his own battles. He can fight his own battles. He's an intelligent 30-year-old man. Let's, let's not forget this. He's 31 years old in, in January. 
he 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 has a better gauge on reality than we do when we're not behind the fucking steering wheel, taking twenty five minutes out of our time to take all these screenshots out of context to try and paint Rosberg like he's the villain. When he's 0-3 against Lewis Hamilton in his career. Let's not forget this, okay? Like, the way this season has gone, it's almost been... It's almost going to make Hamilton's title win at the end of the year if he gets it that much greater. Because we're all going to talk about how unlucky he was at the start of the season. No, I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of Lewis Hamilton being circle-jerked even when he was the winner of a situation where the other guy was at fault. Like, like... The fact that's even a thing is mind-boggling, and this is like I, I can't I can't deal with this shit no more. It's re- are we touching on something that's come up quite a bit regularly uh, recently in the internet uh, on the in the on the internet in general in terms of uh, fandoms, in terms of yes. fan bases oh, and a yes. sort of entitlement culture that's cropped up. I mean, this has felt much stronger in the entertainment industries where comic book writers get death threats and hate mail because they wrote a twist at the end of a comic book that someone didn't like. Um, And, you know, this also comes from a culture where, uh, like, you know... Oh, sorry, can I just... uh, Do you... Dre? Your boy? Do you want to, uh, you know... What? I'm not saying anything about Anton Griezmann scoring on this, but um, no, I'm also... He says whilst looking at his Anton Griezmann freshly pressed (laughs) shirt hanging across the room from him and sort of slowly worshipping it (laughs) like a shrine. Um, But anyway, yes. Uh, Is this now pointing to a bigger problem with fandoms on the internet, particularly uh, in the entertainment culture, but in sports as well? It feels like, you know, we've known that football has a very tribal nature for a long time. That's fine, but it, it feels like online... I just, I don't know. It struck me today how people try and be objective and like they're trying to be balanced and everything. And yet at the same time, they'll be like, get fucked, Rosberg, blah, stuff. And I'm like, uh, where, where's the, make up your mind. Either be just like a passionate guy who's basically the equivalent of that topless beer belly guy in the grandstand shouting and chanting at everything. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of some of the hate that Josh Whedon got when Avengers Age of Ultron came up regarding some of the shit with Black Widow's character and how exactly like, comic books is one of them you get it in superheroes all the time in the Marvel versus DC space football fans can be incredibly tribal like we said before it's it's the nature of sports sports are an incredibly territorial thing I see fights on my timeline regarding the NBA every single day because I follow oh, a certain man. I follow certain friends that are massively into basketball and it, it's Debates are fun a lot of the time, and discussion discussions are awesome a lot of the time. But that's the nature of fandoms in sport. You know, sport fans are territorial. They're passionate. They're hardcore. And you know, look look when shows like First Take on ESPN get so incredibly popular because they keep talking about the same topics over and over again. And because you because you care as a sports fan, you're emotionally invested in it. And because you're emotionally invested. You're going to do things you don't mean. You're going to do things that are out of character. That's what we as human beings do. And yep. I, we're getting surprisingly deep about this, by the way. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a good conversation to have because I feel like we all need to step back and calm down because I, I look at this situation... Like, like Rosberg fans feel like they're under attack and they're going to react because they feel like their boy's being persecuted. And that's, to a degree, fair but also too harsh. Hamilton fans will, will again look for any reason to bash Rosberg on any level because Hamilton is better. We we he's two percent better than Rosberg is, and that two percent is enough people to go out of their way to criticise him, and that's what's been happening for Rosberg. 
I feel like there's also a slight nationalistic element to this yeah, in a certain way. Yeah, of course, way. Britain versus of course, Germany. You know, like, like, it's, not, the narrative's been there the whole time. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. This country is still very racist. And, in, you know, like, as, I, I take a shame for that as a, as a guy that was born and raised in... Dude, life. Jesus Christ, after last week. Oh, my oh God, God, it's even worse. Yeah, and I don't want to get too political here. But I was born and raised in life. <laughs> I, I know, I've kind of, kind of crossed that bridge already, but here we go. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I was born and raised in London, England, like one of the biggest multicultural melting pots I've ever seen. The fact we still make Britain versus Germany a thing, even though World War II ended 70 years ago, like that should say a lot about where we should stand as 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 people like i love germany i love german culture my favorite racing driver ever is german like can i can i whisper this really quietly on. i prefer watching german football over the england team yes the bundesliga <laughs> is amazing like, we've actually made a deal based on if if dre gets a thomas muller jersey i'm getting a tony crows one exactly we are such dirty traitors it's it's it's, it's amazing but it's. I think there is. I think there is an element of xenomorphia regarding this as well, and it's a shame because it's, and it's a shame that was, we are witnessing. I think an amazing Formula One season right now. I think this is a season we are. that is up there with. Tw- this was a great race. This was a genuine. Yeah. Yes, it was. I said. I, I said going in that this track was almost like an IndyCar track in that it's a short lap, a very fast lap. And in the end, the race was pretty much like an IndyCar race. Every time I looked back at the screen, there was overtakes, there was battles going on. This has been the pattern for the season. There's been battles up and down the field. Somewhere on the track, something is happening. And for many years, after the first 15 laps, you couldn't really say that. Yeah. Yeah, like, I I know we've been talking about the lead so far, and I know we're going to get to the other stories, but there has been so many other stories just from this race. Pascal Verline, the Red Bulls, both the Ferraris for good and bad reasons. In general. Don't don't spark him up just yet. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Keeping the powder trial dry for now. I'm keeping it calm. I'm going to be professional about it. This means a lot. Breathe, breathe. But... It's not just for this race. It's the season in general. The season has been incredibly captivating on many levels. Williams have gotten good at pit stops. Max Verstappen got promoted and won his first Grand Prix. We've had, I'd argue, out of the eight races so far, five that were genuinely great on on any level that I would happily watch again if I had an opportunity to do so. Like, We've had a season where Merckx has been genuinely vulnerable on many occasions. And again, this race was another example of that. Rosberg had a brake failure. I, I mean, if, if, if it wasn't for the incident, it could have been... A and they got into each other. Rosberg yeah. cost himself the podium. Rosberg Ferrari and Red Bull capitalised. Rosberg cost himself a podium spot. They, they took each other out in a round. Their reliability still hasn't been great. It's that because other teams have beat each other up trying to get over them... You know, they've still been the dominant champions, but like, Mercs have been yeah. more vulnerable this year than the previous two put together. So, can we also point out? I've just, I actually tweeted out a little while ago. I genuinely asked the question when was the last time we had a last lap pass for the win in a Formula One race? The only answer people have been able to provide so far is Canada 2011. <laughs> so we got off oh, supposedly on this race of the modern era. <laughs> exactly. And now we've got another last lap pass for the win at a track everyone going in was like. Here's a pattern for you. How many times this season have, got, have people gone into racing and gone, oh, it's this track. Oh, well, this will be tedious. And then afterwards we've gone, Jesus Christ, that race had no right to be that good. Exactly. Yes. China, Australia was both really good. Austria, which, which on paper really shouldn't be that good, ended up being great. 
and, and it had it was just about as good as a totally dry race could be. So, and I'd argue that even the dud races have still been marginally more interesting than what. You know, basically, the standard has been higher. What's been a below average race this year would be still a pretty above average race in previous years. Exactly. So for me. I don't get it. I don't get why I focus on this. And for me, as a casual fan who doesn't have an, emo- an emotional or an, you know, emotional investment in either Hamilton or Rosberg, I'm sitting back here and saying, "Isn't this what we wanted? Isn't this like? Isn't like? I know that it, it, often we milk Sky for trying to highlight, you know, or maybe exaggerate certain narratives. But at the same time, this is a legitimate story. We like people are captivated by stories. We just mentioned this earlier on the show." We, we, we talk about being emotionally invested in these things. We have a legitimate feud between Hamilton and Rosberg for a title that's gone back and forth the last three or four rounds. We, you know, we've, we've been in a situation now where we had two major incidents regarding them this season alone. We've had, you can you actually throw in Hamilton's bad luck. You've got a genuinely captain cha- you, you think got a genuinely captivating championship story here that's forming in front of our very eyes. We want feuds. We want to care more. And when you've got two of arguably the two or three best drivers in the world going head to head for a championship in the same team, and we make those Senna and Prost comparisons, isn't it what we want, King? Really? Yes. <laughs> like, like, do we like do we really want another Schumacher esque? I'm going to dominate and win 15 rounds this season. We don't want that. Like Hamilton's been genuinely vulnerable this year. He's not been as good as he's been in the last two years. That's for sure. And Hamilton is not going to win 10 rounds this year unless he gets extremely lucky from here on in. Like, Rosberg has won five Grand Prix this year. This is what we wanted. We wanted a more competitive Nico Rosberg. This is it. We're getting it. And and we're still not happy because we're focusing on the wrong things. It's what we as F1 fans do, I think, worse than anybody else. We focus on the wrong stories, the wrong narratives. And we spent... We are ungrateful sods when you think about it, aren't you? Aren't we? Seriously, like, on on Sunday, the most... Before Sunday morning, the most captivating part of the weekend was sausage curbs. Sausage (laughs) curbs. That nobody was running, was going to run over during the race anyway. It's, It's... it, it makes my blood boil that people like Will Buxton try to spin the pot when we can already do that for ourselves. We're not idiots. Let's enjoy this. Oh, God. Fan, like, like, we as fans need to do better. I, I, I really do say this. I think we as fans, rather than, rather than being in each other's throats every two minutes, I feel like we should be embracing what is an incredibly exciting season with an incredibly exciting lead narrative. And take it for what it is. And, I mean, we still have a situation where Ferrari could win a Grand Prix. Speaking of which... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I'm, I'm going to open a beer. King, take cover. Run. Oh, dear. No. <clears throat> right. King, are you ready to run? You ready yes, to run? Yes. Dre, um, what did you think of Sebastian Vettel's race? <laughs> run away! <laughs> no. No, no. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to stay calm. I, 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 oh, for fuck's sake! This is this is this is the this is the worst shit imaginable. Like, like, <laughs> I, I, okay. Like, previously, that first of all, that said, we needs to be on a video, damn it, because that was fucking awesome. Um, second of all, <laughs> oh god, uh, like. Sorry, what did you say? I genuinely had run I, off. Like I said, I said like that. People say we need the fandom. It needs to be on a pop. Needs to be on a video segment because that was bloody lit. I'd agree. Yes. Also, I'm going to rant for a minute. So, 
Brace yourselves, people. I'm not going to be happy about this. King, you got a beer? <sighs> I feel like we're on, like, sun loungers watching a distant nuclear bomb going off. Look, I'm not... One, I was not one of those people that had Vettel down as a title threat for this season. I was not one of those guys that thought... If anything, I was cynical towards Ferrari. I said, if they can't win eight to ten rounds a season, what are we really talking about here? And I've been critical of Ferrari this season. And <sighs> my, my dander is, is up right now. I, I can only keep this in to a certain level. It's it's it's. Uh, maybe, maybe now I'm a little bit more understanding towards Alonso fans because he had to deal with five years of this. And it's that Ferrari are just a perennial fucking letdown. It gets on my nerves that before this Grand Prix, Vettel was 45 points off Nico Rosberg in a season where he had two DNFs, both of which were noise fault. You know, the engine blowout in Bahrain before the race even started. And then being taken out from behind by Danil, I'm I think I'm better than what I actually am. Kvyat from behind, who by the way is having a wretched season right now, poor guy. Um, and now this time, it's 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 a puncher. The lap twenty-seven, he suffered the puncher on the on on the first lap. Was it was a complete blowout for what it's worth. He spun and hit the wall. His race was over. And looking at Kimi Raikkonen's race, he was on a very similar seemingly one-stop strategy that Raikkonen came out behind Daniel Ricciardo and the two Red Bulls you could tell the strategy wasn't going to work because Raikkonen was ahead on track obviously because Vettel started from ninth and it's obvious it's the, the one-stop is not going to work here because Raikkonen would be caught in traffic all day being behind the two Red Bulls and Nico Rosberg but no. <laughs> Instead, they they stick Vettel on this ridiculously high-risk strategy, which I still don't think he was going to win because Merckx just looked that good today. Like, they, they destroyed Verstappen in the second half of the race for what it's worth. And his tyre goes pop. And I'm just sitting here thinking, you combine the engine blowout, you combine Kvyat's foolhardiness in Russia... You combine the fact that they've probably left two wins on the table from Australia where they got it wrong on strategy there and Catalonia where they got it wrong on strategy again and Raikkonen got shafted out of a win when both Ferrari and Red Bull both put their stronger drivers on the weaker strategy, which made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and now this, where a one-stopper combined with Peretti still not knowing what the hell caused these accidents happens... Guys, I've had enough. Like, like I'm going to lose my mind if this continues. Like, I'm doing, re I'm trying really hard to keep this down because, like, it's, it's infuriating because Vettel was punched above his weight again this year. He's having like, if you look at the results, he's actually finished. He's had a very, very good season. A couple of second places, been in contention for wins, has been the guy that has got the fawn in Mercedes side more than any other, just like last year. But he's now pretty much out of the title running, realistically speaking, going forward. Yes. Ferrari may have been able to win two, maybe three Grand Prix out of the first eight this season. And despite all of that, now Vettel's out of title contention. The guy that you've put so much assets into, the guy you desperately wanted to, to spearhead your team for five years now. 
Like, because apparently they were whole, they were scouting in from 2011. They wanted for Ferrari. They wanted Vettel in Ferrari red. And this is the end product, and you still can't give him a car that can A, win a race, or B, even make the finish, or C, even put him on an optimal strategy. King, hold me. I've had enough of this. <laughs> it's I, the I think it's worst. Ferrari's, oh God, incompetence at Ferrari. It's just, mm, you, you don't want it to be a thing, but it's a thing right now, and you don't know why, because it seems like every time there's a problem, they, you know, fire leadership, hire new leadership, and it's still the same thing. This, this, this So like the England football team then? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, don't even... Can I also say two things? Number one, we've just spent most of the first half hour of the podcast discussing passionate fandom in motorsport. Ah! Exhibit A! <laughs> and B, I think the frustration is shared to a wider extent amongst neutrals because some people want there to be competition for Mercedes. And as you talked about earlier, Mercedes have looked the most vulnerable they've been since they ascended to this dominant position uh, at top of Mount Olympus at the start of the hybrid era. And everyone was like, oh, if Mercedes slip up, Ferrari will be there to capitalise. And they just have not. Which is kind of frustrating if you're a neutral and you want closer battles at the front. I don't even know how you're feeling right now. I don't think I want to. Dude, I'm just I'm just going to sit here. You can lay on the bed on the side. Just talk to me, man. How are you feeling? You're not feeling good, are you? I'm gutted. I'm gutted because if you put these... if you, if you I'm, I'm going to be even... I, I'm going to be... I'm going to be concerned. It's bad enough you're also having to support Man United. Shut up. Shut up. Man United's <laughs> cheered me up the last week, given what they've been up to recently, but it, it's... <sighs> I'm going to be conservative. Two top five finishes and Vettel's within a race of Liga Rosberg. In those two races I mentioned where he had a DNF that wasn't his fault. Russia and, and, and Bahrain. Two top five, that's 20 points. 10 points each. Minimum. He's in contention. Like, and we're talking about Vettel still being a realistic title threat within a race of the top of the top guys, despite the fact we've often criticised Ferrari for giving away easy opportunities. That'll be a testament to just how frigging good Vell has been the last year and a half. You know, justifying his place as arguably the best driver in the world, pound for pound. And this is a situation where Ferrari have just thrown so much away. And King, it was obvious. The papers, the, like the numbers said it. The, the, like Pirelli had thrown out cautions regarding tyre lamps. The two stopper was the way to go. We saw it. Yeah, the one stopper wasn't feasible. <laughs> Especially even though, like strangely enough, I, I assume it's the Mercedes being the Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton was able to go what twenty two laps on the ultra softs, and not comfortably to say the least. I mean, maybe, just maybe. When you're Mercedes and when you're that quick, it, it gives you a certain amount of strategical freedom because, heck, Merckx broke their own policy for the first time in a long time in this round by allowing Nico to try the two-stopper given he was further back. So even then, it was obvious that the two-stopper was the fastest strategy. Uh, look, Nico Rosberg wins that race in, in under normal circumstances. So Ferrari thinking they're clever, trying this one stopper, it just didn't work. Like Red Bull was way off the pace as well, especially in the second half of the Grand Prix where Verstappen was about 15 seconds. 
behind the two Mercs before this incident even happened on a track that's only a minute six long, roughly. <laughs> King Johnson, I'm in despair, man. Like, like, yes, like today is Sebastian Vettel's 29th birthday. Like, I got, I got his one. What's a birthday present? I, I got this beautiful one by two Ferrari mini helmet. It's sitting like a foot away from me right now. It's a beautiful bit of craftsmanship, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and this is the birthday present we get. Another Ferrari fuck up. Like, like, uh, just, I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I'm moving on. Sod this team. Ferrari gives me no hope. Mercs are probably going to run the table for the rest of the year. And. Like, Ferrari's had chances to win three or four rounds this year, and they've blown every single one. I am sick and tired of these goofballs. I just, I just, I am enjoying the fact that we've spent the first half an hour of the show talking about passionate fandoms in motorsport, and then the next 15 minutes turned into a case study. (laughs) How how far can you break one passionate yet relatively restrained podcast? And this is a guy who tries to be balanced. He tries to be, he tries to be restrained about this. I try so hard. I... I, I, I really do. Like, honestly, I do. And this is... Dre, why do you think I, I support, like, underdog teams and small and drivers who... I mean, today, even Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg managed to disappoint me. Normally, I'm like, yeah, they got a top 10. I'm happy. Captain Low Expectations. Mr. I'm amazed that my... I'm just stoked that my football club somehow managed to make it to League One, the third tier of English football. That's amazing enough. Yes, yes, but, like, even then, yeah, it's it's... Mm-hmm. It's like supporting, and it as I say, it is frustrating because Ferrari are such a iconic um, team uh, and are kind of the uh, heir apparent. Should Mercedes make any trip up, but it is it's frustrating. People just want competition at the top end, and I think what makes this year more frustrating is that last year it looked like Ferrari were right on the cusp. They were the ones that profited and took the wins and were very clinical. Whenever Mercedes slipped up, they even had Mercedes beat on pace in a in a couple of rounds you know malaysia they won it pretty much on fair strategy singapore they had mercedes on toast yes so people coming into this year were like you know what if they can get just that little bit more they're so close they, they, they might be able to do it wins and they just haven't done that but you know Ferrari. This is a bit like those years where I remember people saying, oh, you know, I think ironically, it might have been Manchester United. A couple of years they won uh, the Premier League title and a couple of people were saying, oh, well, this is an average team. They managed to win the title. And it's like, well, if that's the case, how comes people couldn't beat them? You look at yourself. Like, seriously, if they're, if they're beatable, why didn't you beat them? Do you know what I mean? And there you go. I'm now going to crawl back into my hole and talk about the underdogs in in, in this Grand Prix. And uh, it, it kind of was a day of the underdogs, uh, except for one man, uh, Mr. King. And if there's one thing I've noticed here, it's that if Nico Hülkenberg was ever going to get a podium, it was going to be today, given <laughs> that he started on the front row for the first time since that epic pole position at Brazil 2010 for Williams. He started on the front row of the grid for a race, and look what happens. He falls to fourth off the opening lap, and it only gets worse than there. King, I think it's fair to say at this point, if the Hulkenberg podium wasn't going to be the day, it's just never going to happen, is it? Yeah. I've given up hope. <laughs> yeah, Nico Hulkenberg dropped like a rock today, and he never came back up to the surface, and it was just all in all a frustrating race if you're a Force India fan, just watching... Essentially, Nico Hulkenberg flail in the water before drowning. It was not 
a pleasant experience at all, and... Oh, starting on second, there was... It seemed like, when you start on the front row in F1, it, it seems almost in the bag that you're going to be on the podium. Had a good, but, had a good launch as well. Had a, had a good had a good takeoff from the grid, but then Raikkonen and barged him out, and then it was all downhill from there. Yeah, Raikkonen barged him out. Can I just say well, it just and doesn't... Then, and then Jensen Button is in second place. Yeah. Wow. And, uh... For a moment, the English fans were just absolutely creaming themselves because they had the prospect of Hamilton leading and Jensen Button in second place and relevant for the first time in about four years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh... But to be honest with you, as the guy who, in this case, who's probably the closest to being a Force India stroke Hulkenberg fan, yeah. man, the Force Indies have been pretty disappointing this year. And to be honest with you, this kind of puts, to me, it kind of puts into context Perez's good top 10 results in a couple of races this year i mean i'm getting a podium at monaco like seriously if if th if today was anything to go by that guy is a goddamn miracle worker <laughs> hulkenberg was absolutely gassed up the straight by literally anything like mclarens were leaving him for dead uh, on the main straights like seriously both cars developed brake issues one of them took out perez on the last lap which added a extra controversial moment to the whole Ooh, hamilton and rosberg because you know he was crashed off at turn three people thought Hamilton may have passed onto yellows I'm not sure anything was going to come of that um, but seriously it, it, I, and I feared for Force India going into this season because uh, I felt like a couple of teams like Haas like Renault had made the big push in terms of funding in terms of reinventing themselves in terms of pushing forward and I felt like Force India along with Sauber were kind of caught in that middle ground of just trying to tread water and not being able to move forward as quickly as everyone else and I feel like that's kind of absolutely the case and it feels to me like Hulkenberg's the one who's borne the brunt of that a bit more normally he was the guy who was great at getting results out of nowhere but it feels to me more like he needed a semi-decent car under him or at least a car he was comfortable with do you know what I mean and it feels to me like Perez maybe is better at extracting you know turning a making a silk purse out of a sow's ear for want of a better phrase mm -hmm. so I don't know, but yeah, it was uh, like we were all expecting people were going, oh, even if it doesn't rain, the first stint should be interesting at least because everyone will be shuffling back through the field and we'll have cars out of position from the wet qualifying. Nah, it, it barely lost about five laps. Was, yeah, it was for the first two laps. Yeah, mm. and that was the end of that. But uh, poor Nico, just not getting a look in. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that Sergio Perez is the man in that team now, unfortunately. I mean, a year and a half now of Perez being... I mean, I think the problem is I think a lot of fans want Perez to be the guy, but also I think a lot of fans also want Hulkenberg to be the guy too, especially after that Le Mans win last year. So it's it's two guys that people want to see him in better equipment and better machinery, but, you know, Perez seems to have really turned a corner and is the guy to watch in that team now. And, you know, the talk is now, oh, is he going to get another chance of a better team? But that's a discussion for another day. Let's talk about Jensen Button. and uh, Let's word. do that. King, I think that's fair to say that's the best I've seen McLaren perform since the Honda switch. Uh, well, besides, you know, Fernando Alonso needing to retire. Well, well, one hand giveth, the other taketh away. <laughs> take it. <laughs> it's a start. But, yes, uh, yes, but besides that, great performance from Jensen Button to, you know, put the car up so high on the grid and then, you know, come through it may not have been a podium but it was solid points yep very solid points I think it was seventh place for JB in the end and um again a very very nice haul of six points there um only I believe the third time this year McLaren score points they're already I think 
up to the level they... I think they've actually now overtaken their point haul from 2015 already. So McLaren is on the up. They're, like, there's genuine improvement here, which is nice to see. I mean, they're not miracle workers just yet, but they are ahead of Renault's factory team now as well as obviously Manor and Sauber, so... Uh, correction, Button actually finished uh, sixth in the end. Oh, sixth, yeah. okay, even better. That's eight points for JB, even better. Uh, yeah, it's like I, I knew Grosjean finished seventh, but I didn't remember where Jensen finished, so I didn't want to correct you without not knowing what the correction was. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can have that one. Can I, just, can I just point out as well, could this be one of the most varied uh, top tens in a long time in terms of number of teams finishing in it? Yes. We had both Mercedes, we had one Ferrari, both the Red Bulls, one McLaren, one Haas, one Toro Rosso, one Williams, and I'm sure we're going to get to him in a minute. Do not adjust <laughs> your set, folks. A manner. Yes. Yeah. So I make that what seven different teams in the top ten. Yes. Yeah, and considering That's there's crazy. eleven teams in the entire grid. That's crazy. <laughs> Again, this is what we want, people. This is excellence. Competition. Yeah, exactly. This is this is what we want to see, which is great. So, um, are you not entertained? Yeah, absolutely. C couldn't agree more. Great to see more teams up there in the upper echelon. And uh, wow, um, I, I know I've been cynical about him, but uh, yeah. Well, I'll see Aston get a goal back, by the way. Speaking of underdogs, Aston have scored, so they, they get one back. 4-1. Good for them. Um, send the fans home happy, which is a nice touch. Um, they're still clapping. God bless them. But speaking of underdogs, Pascal Verlein, his first career point. Um, man, only man is second ever point scoring performance in, in Formula One and um, King maybe this kid is a superstar because he's been absolutely phenomenal this weekend <laughs> yes the protege has performed qualified what qualified 11th 12th. or 12th okay <laughs> finished 10th oh great drive from what I like to call a protege at Mercedes this kid definitely has a future I saw a person who I won't name say that oh Pascal Verlaine should replace Nico Rosberg I don't think <laughs> I don't think that should happen but he's I definitely exactly good enough <laughs> I seen him um but, no, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't seen <laughs> oh it wasn't him oh sorry no, Cena, you no. I know you're a big fan <laughs> I'm playing with you I promise okay I'll, I'll it was Alex Zafra <laughs> 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 Moving on swiftly. Um, <laughs> no one say a thing. Yeah, uh, I will say no more because if I talk about it anymore, I will literally put myself to sleep. But um, it's, it's, it's a situation. Yeah, I mean, I can't lie to that. Worldline was phenomenal. Qualified 12th. Like, Manners, I think that's the first time Manners qualified into Q2 on merit alone as well. Like, their line was stunning and, and it's just another nail in the coffin for, for Rio Harianto given his his awful season but when when the protege is out here scoring a point for a, for a very very happy manner team a team that is still the bottom feeders of the grid let, let, let's make no mistake they're still the worst team in Formula 1 as it stands at the, at the moment they are now up into 10th in the Constructors Championship with that point and like, did we not forget this? The way Formula One is right now, the way the revenue is is shared, that only the top ten teams get a performance bonus. Manners now just leapfrogged um, Sauber into the ten slot, so this is now very important for Sauber, who have still not scored a point. Uh, they are now. I don't want to say I called it, but I kind <laughs> of did pre-season. I had a feeling Manor might leapfrog Sauber, but I didn't anticipate it like this. But I'll tell you what, for Manor. This is absolute miracles, considering um, respected pundits such as you and um, 
you last year at the start of last season were predicted Manor wouldn't even survive the season financially and to be honest with you I'm not trying to make that point out of a sort of well look how stupid you look now uh, a la Chris Cook at the end of the Indy 500 um, but uh uh, to be honest with you, it's entirely fair. It didn't look like Manor would survive the season. They were literally scraping around. They may as well have been taking an acoustic guitar and a hat to every Grand Prix and kind of busking and playing the great Grand Prix songs of yesteryear, trying to get the funds for their next airfare. But now, now, this is great. This is good stuff. So, what else can be said, really? This is yeah, good stuff. Tremendous stuff from Pascal Verline again. Congratulations to him and the Manor team. Tremendous performance. A real driver of the day nominate. Uh, nominee almost by default that the worst team in Formula 1 can crack the top 10 like that. That's a stunning result from Pascal Verline and exactly what Mercedes will want to hear right now given current given their current climate or something. Um, insert. Uh, watch Max Verstappen get driver of the day. <laughs> <laughs> If he gets driver of the day for second, I swear I'm on following F1 on Twitter. They can kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> and, and fuck us for voting him in that position in the first place. We, Again, we as fans need to do better. Um, also, Can I just know- point out, though, spe- sorry, speaking of Verstappen, just how good, and I mean, this is not like, it's not like Formula One's in a situation where they've got a lot of senior drivers about to retire and an entire generation of drivers is about to go away. You've got some older drivers like Alonso and Raikkonen, but can we just point out, Formula One's future is in very, very good hands. When you've got a generation of drivers like Max Verstappen and Pascal Verline already on the grid, already taking home top-class finishes, these guys are going to be around for bloody ages. Yes. So, yes. seriously, this guy's, uh, the next 10 to 15 years of the sport are pretty much sorted out just fine. Yeah. And that's assuming Lewis Hamilton retires at the end of this year, which he probably won't. He's easily got another five years at the very least exactly. in him. So... The future of F1 is looking very, very good indeed. Indeed. I mean, Pascal Verlein is still only 21 years old. Max Verstappen is still 18, for God's sake. We, uh, it's, it's easy to, to draw on that, but uh, the future is very much in safe hands, I would argue. Also, before we move on real quick, King, the penalty for Rosberg, 10-second time penalty plus two penalty points. Stewards pretty much washed their hands on this one, huh? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, 10-second time penalty didn't affect the standings at all. It's basically it's basically like, uh, we can't say it's a racing incident, but we kind of have to, we're going to have to blame someone here, and it's going to be Rosberg, but we don't really want to punish him that much because it wasn't that serious of an incident. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just, it, like, that just sums it up. It's an incident that was bigger than what it was, but, of course, given... Given the nuance of it all, of course, we're going to be more into that. Speaking of controversy, Formula E. <laughs> oh, We've got an entire hour talking about just the Formula 1, and it's normally oh. like, when we do these episodes, we're like, oh, there's normally one major race of the week, and then there's some other races to talk about, but they're not as much. Oh, crikey, McJugger Nuggets, this one's even more of a doozy. Yeah. For context, I'll just lay this one out for you. Sure. I came in about halfway through... The, uh, the second Formula E race, which would have been today. And I just generally took one look at my Twitter and I actually tweeted, okay, can you guys try and summarize what's happened so far in this race in 140 characters or less? Go. And most of the responses were either farce, a cluster fruitcake. That's what I called it. Something, something, Buemi crashed into someone, Degrassi did a thing. Yeah. It's become a qualifying session. Yeah. And cluster fruitcake, repeat ad nauseum. Yeah. So... 
Mm, yeah, race was entertaining today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's get out of the way. Race one was just kind of there. Nicholas Prosted won. And I'll talk more about Battersea in general in a minute. But race two was today. And race two, I mean, the sport did a really good job of hyping up this Degrassi versus Buemi title finale and you know it, it wrote itself with, with Buemi qualifying on pole for race two and pole position carrying three points the series was tied up going into the final round uh, remember that it becomes important later um, so the, the series was tied 153 points in, on each of their two leading drivers and going into turn one Lucas Degrassi, okay, maybe the Edam's car breaks a little bit early for turn one. It's a a, a tentative turn one for sure. But Lucas gets it wrong. He breaks arguably too late. You can make the argument maybe he breaks too late. He plows into the back of Sebastian Wemmy's car. And from a realistic performance standpoint, both cars are out of the race. I mean, King, we've seen the incident about 10, 15 times now. It's it's a manic accident. And... um, Gosh, where do you start with it? Lucas just completely getting it wrong by the sounds of it. Yeah, he got it completely wrong at a place, Battersea Park, where there's literally zero room to avoid any accidents. I think Dario mentioned it during the broadcast, where it seemed like uh, Degrassi was looking for room on the left, but... uh, but Prost was there, so he basically had the jerk back straight and like, okay, I'm taking out Wemmy then. Yeah, he went down. He went down the right instead. Um, it's, there's no like, like Lucas has put himself in a spot where he had literally nowhere to go. Um, it's, 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 it's as simple as that. He, there was nowhere for him to go at all, and there was nothing that anybody could have done about it. Um, he's he's got to make the, he's got to slow down hard to make the corner. He's not going to do that. Lucas admitted it himself after the race. He was very aggressive. To use his own words, he was very aggressive because he knew that the only chance he had to win that Grand Prix and, to, and therefore the championship in theory was to pass Prost on turn one. And it's amazing when you think about it because I watched the rest of ITV's broadcast and Jenny Gao was put straight to the three pundits that was on there, Jaime Aguasuari, um, Mark Priestley, and uh, Alex Brundle. The three guys that were there live at the Grand Prix, they said one word answer, did Lucas do it on purpose? And, you know, Mark kind of danced around it, said maybe, um, maybe he did it on purpose, he can't say for sure. And Jaime Aguasuari came out and said yes. <laughs> no, no, without even hesitating. <laughs> without even hesitating, without flickering, no, no take backs, anything like that. He had no chill. He went straight for the... I think he did it on purpose. I'm going to do the same thing here. King, do you think he did it on purpose? Oh, God. Because I think Jenny Gower tried to make it a one-word answer when you really can't answer this question in one word. Like, yeah, he was going for the soundbite. I would say Degrassi knew he was going to have an accident. <laughs> he was, he knew he was going to have an accident. Like, he, he put himself in a position where he's like, yeah, I was too aggressive. I'm going to have to run into somebody. It can either be Nico Prost or Sebastian Vuemi. And he picked Vuemi. Conveniently, his title rival. And let's be real. Um, 
God. Sorry. I've just seen the most hilarious tweet ever. It's one that Dre's just quoted. Seriously. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not even going to say it. It's like, I, 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 I'll, I'll briefly mention it. It's, 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 it's it, I, I'm annoyed because this person is a fan of the show, but like when you're tweeting like, oh, this, like, front, like Iceland losing 5 1 is karma for like their lack of respect for England and I'm like oh just fuck off <laughs> like, just, like sometimes there is nothing but like, sometimes hashtag good. karma hashtag like, justice hashtag Rosberg deserved it karma isn't real but okay <laughs> carry on yes she is she's a wrestler <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, back on topic. Basically, you can't really argue that this was a... If you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver because there was no gap to go for. Literally, as they're coming up towards turn one, the, first, the turn one proper, because there's a sort of curve, you know, S-bend in the, in the track before they get to turn one. Um, you had Nico Prost kind of defending the, the, the left side, the inside going to the corner. Degrassi's side by side with him on the outside and Buemi's boxing him in right in front. So there was no gap to go for. So I don't know if, um, you know, maybe Degrassi, a bit like what happened with Rosberg and Hamilton. That's what Brundle said. Brundle said, oh, he, he gave this stereotypical center line of if you do not go for a gap, etc." even though that quote was 25 years ago now and it's just, and it's just about as relevant as Alex Brundle's career is. Now... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, son. <laughs> Throwing baby Brundle under the bus. Man. I'm sorry. I just hate when people use that comment. I, I hate yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's, it's the second it's most overused quote in F1 quote. behind, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Like, it is a terrible quote that was never relevant to be, it's not relevant anymore, but we all use it because it came from Ayrton Senna and it's done as justification for racing drivers being dicks on track. Yeah, uh, it, like, it's basically racing's version of a badass movie one-liner. <laughs> Yeah, basically, that's what it is. And um, I think you can't use that excuse at all here because there was no space to go for. There was absolutely nothing. So I don't know if Buemi maybe braked a little bit early, saw Degrassi in his mirrors and went, right, I'm going to back him up a little bit, try and get my teammate back through. Who knows? Um, you know, you go a little bit defensive, maybe. Maybe Degrassi was going in like, oh, maybe I can get a little bit of contact on him, maybe punt him wide, get through to the lead. And then it went horribly wrong. Both of them misjudged it and Degrassi ends up on top of Buemi's car. I don't know if it's full intentional, though, because, I mean, it was not like... Like, Senna on Prost, that's the famous one. Yeah. Of course, that's where the famous quote we're just talking about came from. Uh, that one was at least a dive bomb up the inside where there clearly wasn't any gap and the both of them spun off into the gravel. This was coming from behind, ramming a guy up the... <laughs> right, basically trying to get into the other guy's gearbox, which is kind of dangerous, like especially in open wheelers on a street circuit. Like, we all remember what happened with Mark Webber a few years ago, right? Yeah. When he crashes the back of another open wheel car on a street circuit, like... That's a yeah, little bit dangerous to do that. This isn't like touring cars on NASCAR where you can bump and run someone into the wall. Like, Degrassi hit his car so hot, hit Boemi's car so hard, despite having, you know, the, you know, the Lara bump, rear bumpers, it basically, his car still climbed Boemi's anyway. Also, hang on. If this was deliberate to try and take him out, isn't there a flaw in the pan in that everyone in Formula E has, you know, two cars <laughs> per driver? <laughs> Oh, I've taken him out. Oh, bollocks. He's just run back to the pits and got in his other car. Yeah, that, that's... Damn it, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's kind of a problem, really. It's a, you know, like, like, I have respect for Ami Agaswari, but I, 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 no, no. They're like, like, there's nowhere near enough... I think that was the emotional headline, really. Yeah, I, I think he's gone for the emotional home run when in actuality, you know... 
I just think I just think the whole thing's nonsense. I think I think Lucas made a mistake. I think he got it very. I think he made a misjudgment, and it just so happened that the car he hit was Buemi's, and, and that's the unfortunate nature of it all. And of course, motorsport being what it is, and we're all being historians, we all know about famous similar incidents. So of course, we're going to draw off that as as as, as our starting point, using quotes that are about as old as me, unfortunately, and that's never a good place to start when you think something that happened in 1990 is relevant in 2015. So, you know, it's... I mean, sure, we don't get the emotions of this, but that's just that's just silly for me. But unfortunately, we as a result of that, we kind of just stopped caring about the actual race result, which is a shame because Nicholas Prost was superb this weekend. We you know, won both races in dominant fashion, was, was excellent from start to finish, qualified well, had a brilliant weekend. So well done, Nico Prost, to him um, as well. But... The, the the race became a glorified time trial. Um, like like the what happened was cars the cars had gone into the pits. They'd fixed some of the cars. They changed cars over without realizing that oh okay well the championship is tied. As it stands, Lucas wins the title on count back. If we get in our other cars and set the fastest lap of the race. Remember, the fastest lap of the race is worth two points, so that could break the tie. So as it turns out, as the cars were going around, I mean, a couple of other incidents like um, Robin Freund's being uh, taken out by Jerome D'Ambrosio, um, resulting in a safety car, they put Buemi and Degrassi out on track, get them some clean air to try and set them up with the fastest lap of the race. King, the championship went down to a time trial. <laughs> yes, it went down to a time trial. And it got to the point where it's like they, you know, basically use it as a qualifying session where they, you know, put the cars in the pit, wait for some clear track to, to appear and send them out, try to try to get some hot laps in. Uh, Edams even used, like, uh, Nico Pross as a little, like, uh, like icebreaker for, for Sebastian Buemi out there to clear some space for him. Yeah, uh, we even had at one point Buemi coming out of the pits to run directly behind Nico Prost so, so he can use him as a toe at one point. Um, I don't know how strong the downforce is in Formula E when cars are going there about 120 miles an hour at a top-end speed, but in, in any case... It- we also had Queen Juan Ma accidentally have a mini heel turn by the fact that he was just sort of beetling around having his own rubbish race and he ended up blocking off Buemi at one point. <laughs> yeah, he blocked off Buemi, he blocked off the grassy at one point as well. He got a drive-through penalty for speeding in the pit lane too. Um, he had a horrible um, dog's dinner of a race too. He was just trying to get on TV. Can you clearly. blame him? Get, get that marketing money, clearly. Get that well, mar- now that he's left the Citroen World Touring Car team and he's not guaranteed a podium just by dint of driving a Citroen, you know, he's got to find some way of getting on TV. Yeah, he's, got to find, he's got to find some kind of work around here. So he thought, why not get involved in the hard camera by messing with the leaders instead or the championships I should say but uh, it turns out uh, Buemi had a, had a benchmark set for a good few laps Degrassi tried a response he, he lost three tenths of a, of a second on the final sector of the right of, of the lap and you know he, he, he lost out he gave up and then Buemi set an even faster lap on the final well, the penultimate lap I should say to to effectively win the championship with a fastest lap it's it's, it's it's amazing how the whole thing... It's just, it's just surreal to even say that, you know, Bremi set in the fastest lap one in the championship, but this I'm coming as an IndyCar fan, and that season went down to count back. Yeah. Um, this time around last year on a double point finale where six men were eligible to win the championship on the final day. So, hey... I also, I I also made the comparison to... Because uh, I think it was kind of funny how people were suddenly going, hang on a minute, fastest lap bonus points should not be given out because they could decide a championship. Uh, the comparison for me was 1992, uh, 
get your klaxons ready because it's another NASCAR reference. Um, the fact that the Winston Cup Championship went down to the final race and Alan Kowicki won it by 10 points over Bill Elliott, considering both of them scored over 4,000 points. <laughs> 10 points between the two of them is literally about the time it takes to switch a light on. And the only reason there was 10 points was that Alan Kowicki led one more lap than Bill Elliott in the race and therefore got the five extra bonus points for leading the most laps in the entire race. That's literally all it was by the end. So to me, it kind of reminded me of that, like those two points for one fast lap suddenly became all the difference. And it's, I, have we ever seen a championship settled in such a way? Like, I, I mean, and all I will say is um, Jack Nichols asked Dario Franchitti after the race, he said, oh, have you ever had a championship? Have you ever won a championship while you've already been out of the race? And he said, no. And to be honest with you, there technically was a time, but I, without going into it, I absolutely <laughs> don't blame him for forgetting about it. He probably doesn't remember it at all. He probably doesn't want to. Go on. Uh, but I literally can't remember a time where both championship contenders were kind of out of contention and squabbling among themselves. The closest I can think of is maybe the V8 supercars in 2010, when in the first race at Sydney, there was rain on the back part of the circuit and it was a street circuit and all three of the top three in the championship had a massive pile up. Um, and literally James Courtney ended up pretty much getting enough points to win the championship by getting his car repaired first. He limped out onto the track with both front wheels pointing in completely different directions, <laughs> tape all over the nose of his Falcon. It, you've got to find the video of it on YouTube. It's hilarious. He's crawling around doing about 90 miles an hour for the final three laps. And then Mark Winterbottom and Jamie Wincup kind of crawl out onto the, tra onto the track just after him, but they don't hit minimum speed, so they don't get classified. Courtney does down in like... 20th or something and he gets a small hat full of points and that helps him win the championship that's the closest i can think of it's it's a truly ridiculous end to what's been a ridiculous season in formula i mean a championship decided where, where one title contender took out the other yet they get to go back out and try and set lap times to win it's crazy as i said Buemi set the fastest lap and sebastian Buemi is your season two formula e world champion actually take that back as nikki shield said it's not a world title no not technically anyway but whatever um so yeah Buemi wins the title by two points over lucas degrassi in the end nicholas pross very quietly went went on to win the second it was a whole heap of chaos on the finish as well because about five guys had run over the line on 0% battery power, so there was a whole jumble up, so Jerome D'Ambrosio ended up finishing third um, as well on that Grand Prix, so shout out to Lizzie there, she was obviously over the moon with, with her with with his with, with her boy shenanigans, even though he drove like a complete dick during the race, but let's ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true! Yeah, Am I wrong? He <laughs> shoved Frines into the wall and we're, and we're celebrating like that's a good play. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is part of our campaign against fanboyism, isn't it? Or fandoms, isn't it? Just annoy some of our major fans by being like, yeah, you do realise your favourite driver was kind of a dick. <laughs> you use karma unironically. Don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, that, that was a thing. Big celebrations and whatnot. And um, I hate to mention this again, but I think it was a friend of the show, Catherine Benham, that pointed out as well that um, the scene was apparently god-awful during this race and that, again fans were being rallied around and pushed around to sit in particular spots in a in a venue and you, you never hear that in motorsport we, we heard about it during paris um a couple of months ago that there were that fans were getting pushed around and shoved and moved into certain spots which is just really silly to have in the first place quite frankly and um that, that, that's a thing and like, disappointed to hear that turn up again and king 
I'm on. I mean, honest with you, Battersea is trash. I hate Battersea Park as a venue. Like, I love the fact that Fort Millery has got a Grand Prix in London, but why does it have to be here in a park which is far too narrow and you can't pass cleanly round here? Yeah, it honestly that. feels like they're trying to race around the back alley out the back of Asda. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable how narrow the thing is. It's almost like, do you remember those tracks in Gran Turismo 4 where you literally couldn't have races on? You could only have time trials. I think there was one in Paris, um, which went around the Arc de Triomphe, I think. But literally, it was all back roads, which were like single file. There was one in Citra Aria in like an Italian mountain town. Uh, and there was one in Costa di Amalfi. It was like one of those tracks. It was like, where are you supposed to pass around here? Pretty good thing that Formula E cars are kind of robust. Yes, they're very well made. You have to, you have to give them their credit where that's concerned. They're, they're, they're strong things, um, to say the least. But Battersea Park is just... I hate it. I hate it as a venue. I don't like it as a park because I've been to it on many occasions. It's an awful, boring park. The, the, the path they race on is far too narrow. It's ridiculously bumpy. They had the fast air last year where they had, to, they had to border up turn one last season. You can't... You could barely pass around here clean. We had many accidents where... Quite frankly, they would have been avoided if the trap was like 10 feet wider, quite frankly. Um, King, I hate this place. Thank God it's not coming back for season three. Like, we're going to your town instead. Can you take us? <laughs> Actually, can, can, I, can I just say, can we make a last-ditch bid to save the London E-Pre, but only on the condition that we use the London circuit that was featured in Gran Turismo 5? <laughs> I don't think that's I was a big fan of that layout. I'm down for that. I'm Races fine. through Trafalgar Square? Yeah. I'm game. I'm fine for that. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen because, uh, as I re- recall, doesn't that track go past the center tab? <laughs> uh, just don't invite Ken Block to be in that race. <laughs> yes, yes, that might be a problem, but even so. Like, <laughs> like, they interviewed Seb, Lord Seb Coe before the, um, before the race, and he said that why not just put it around the Olympic Park later on in the future instead? And I thought that'd actually be... That's actually a good shout, you know. Pretty good idea. The Olympic Park would be the perfect venue for that kind of thing. Now, I don't know how much of that is Sebco's bias, given that, given his position in athletics. Um, but uh, in King, can, can New York take us? Are we, are we okay with this for for a doubles? Is, is the new season finale? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm loving it. They haven't revealed anything about where the track is, but hopefully. It, it should be, you know, wide enough. This is America for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, obvious America jokes here. Um, but yeah, that's that's a thing that um, I definitely noticed then. I mean, I'm glad that I, I can't lie. Like, I, I love London. Obviously, this is my city. I love I love the city to pieces. I love London more than life itself. But um, Battersea is awful, and I'd much rather see them somewhere where they can actually race. And considering the locals don't want the race there anyway. Yeah, the locals hate it. Like, I I remember last season during race two, I was driving back in the middle of London from that during race two, and it was a frigging nightmare. Like all the back, like all the guys were on the streets. There was guys walking around the street complaining about the noise, which is <laughs> it's, it's an incredibly English thing to do. I will admit, but at the same time, complain about the noise when there isn't any. Yeah, oh, barely. And it didn't. Look, oh, why can't I walk through the park today? <laughs> so, so like, Trust me, I, I've commentated on radio-controlled cars that make a damn sight more racket than those cars. <laughs> Seriously, even the electric ones. <laughs> yeah, like seriously yeah like i can't believe that's a thing and um yeah i'm glad to see it gone i have i have no shame saying that and and let's have a quick talk about season two in general and king i can't lie to you 
for, as a as a fan, as a guy that was you know a big fan of season one, I like where this I like the series in general. I do you ever get the feeling that like this is like buying a brand new toy? The stick the, the stickers are starting to come off it now, and you're starting to realize the build quality wasn't so great. And you're now looking at me thinking, hang on a minute, like this isn't quite this amazing gem we thought it was going to be for Minari, because that's the that's the feeling I get at the end of season two. Yeah, it's like oh, I have this weird like, oh, like disgusting like feeling like based off of people's uh, experiences at the actual races. The quality of the races themselves are very hit or miss. This year they've been more miss than hit. And it's, it's not turning out to be well, like there being, there being, you know, a new manufacturer next year and, you know, DS Citroen, you know, fully committing to making their own powertrain, maybe things will improve, but, uh, I really, I really have to see it to believe it first. I can't, you know, just hope on just pure faith. Yeah, I mean, it seems a lot like hope right now, and it's 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 oh, what's the best way of me summing this up? I felt that the series has got a lot of questions going forward, and mm. I personally am still not fully convinced that electricity is the way to go for racing of the future. I I still don't I still aren't, I'm still not sure whether I want to. Well, it or not. I think the. Pro- I think a bit of a problem going forward is that what's I think I always had an issue in the first season with people trying to big up Formula E like it was the second coming of like Jesus Christ had returned to earth and bestowed a new motorsport upon us and especially the people saying this is the future this is going to replace Formula One one day I was like no 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 no. stop right there as an interesting aside as an alternative to Formula One with just electric cars I thought it was a. I thought they did a very good job marketing it. Going, you know what? It's basically Formula One. It's all electric. We know it's not going to be able to compete with Formula One and other motorsport in terms of outright speed, spectacle, blah blah blah. So let's have all the tracks be inner cities because hey, they're quiet enough to bypass noise restrictions. So we'll have them in major cities on the streets. We'll try and take the races to the fans, you know, in in the cities itself. Um, we'll have that aspect to it. We'll have and. The driver roster has been pretty good. You know what has been a pretty world-class driver lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, But it feels to me like season two, it's kind of struggled to kick on from that hype. I just think it was bestowed way too much hype upon it. Um, And I think another problem is that people are seeing hybrid technology in Formula One and the WEC being used so well. Uh, And in, you know, in the real world now, we're seeing hybrid technology being pushed forward as a popular uh, thing. We're seeing hypercars like the the McLaren P1, the LaFerrari, the Porsche 918, making these all electric, uh, these hybrid things. And yes, we're seeing the all electric Teslas do great things as well. But are people true petrol heads, true motorsport heads, are they struggling to fully embrace all electric Racing, I just I don't I, quite. I still think I don't. I still sorry, Patty Johnson. I still think the two car problem is is still one that's going. Yes, that is that. a big big issue. The moment I think the moment that Formula E genuinely becomes a game changer is when they work out more of a energy recovery system or a way of charging the cars up and making it one car that gives it far more credibility. Maybe they could do a system like you know uh, we've talked about. There's been talk of hydrogen fuel cells in motoring for many many years, but they haven't quite worked out a good cost effective way of storing the hydrogen. Imagine that that could become a game changer if someone adopts hydrogen fuel cell technology in formula e then it'll be a refueling it'll be something completely different but i think 
it, at the moment, I think it's seen too much as a kind of, especially when you add in like the, 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 the dance music under safety car and everything. I think it's seen in the wider world of motorsport a little bit too much as a novelty. I, th- and I think so too. And I, I, feel so- I think it's got the entertainment factor absolutely right. It's got a good gimmick. You know, it's got a good USP, if you will. It just needs to cement itself as a properly credible top line series. Mm-hmm. I very, I, I very much agree. And I, I've said it before. I feel that the two car problem is the biggest problem because I think the battery tech they need, where they can maybe have an interchangeable battery base, for example, where they can just lift the body off the car and then replace it with a new one. I think that's still five to ten years away in terms of techno- technological advancements and whatnot. So it's 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 a shame um and i don't even have that big a problem with the series i think the racing is great i think the drivers and the oh yeah absolutely are great i think i think the social media i think is fantastic i think they, they do more on social media than any racing series out there does they are tremendous in that department um and i'll give them credit for that i mean the, their youtube channel is not just a place for coverage they, they legitimately make great content on their own merit um so they, they really are going all in on that so the in many aspects, I love their modern approach, and I and I love the fact they are trying to do things differently, and that's and that is always a plus. But I think the biggest issue for me with Formula E going forward is their organisation, or more predominantly, yes. the lack of it. Um, mm. the stories about Paris and, and 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 London having severe seating issues and rearrangement issues with fans and and attendances—that's a big problem. The calendar is a mess. I, I I think the calendar is god awful. I think they need to have races closer together. I mean, they're only going to have two races in 2016 for season three before the next is going to be in February. You're going to kill all your momentum with the series. The calendar they they're, they're going away from tracks they've already had, which which was the backbone of their series, the foundation of their series. They're already moving away from it. I mean, if, if you've seen the season three calendar, but there's already confirmed to be races in Hong Kong, in Marrakesh, in Brussels. Um, we obviously got Montreal and, and New York as a brand new season finale, which sounds nice, but there's no guarantee there's going to be audiences for those races yet. And that, and that's that could be a problem going forward. And and like the, the one thing that really kind of puts me off is that um, one of the great venues they had Punta del Este is not coming is not That's confirmed at least for season three. That place is beautiful. I love Punta del Este as a it's an entertaining track. It's a challenge Agreed. for drivers. You can actually pass. It's a beautiful venue. It's got everything to be a really great little venue for in for, for Formula E as a little niche. Could that be another issue in general then? We're talking about circuits, you know, there's a feeling that tracks can sort of pop up in any major city. And at the moment they've struggled to establish kind of, you know, like Formula One has you know, Spa, is, yeah, Monza, Monaco. Designers need to be better as well because I feel like some yes. of these circuits are god awful and need to go. They're kind of copy paste. Like, 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 I know Monaco, for example, can't be helped, but Monaco is awful. The day they had in season one was terrible. Battersea Park, awful, awful, awful track. The worst on the calendar by a country mile. Paris was really bad too. If it's a situation where you can't pass about making contact, the track's got a severe problem. Like, yeah, what? not every track can be Macau, and Macau has developed a reputation over many, many years. Yeah. Like, for some reason, I, it, Formula E has this, always leaves this bad taste in my mouth that it feels like, it feels a bit, you know, elitist and exclusive, like it's trying to be yes. Formula One's paddock club, yes. but basically with, like, an EDM facade. Yes, oh my, it's like the kind of, 
guy in the suit with a lot of money trying to hang around with Formula One and in there. He's trying to get in there, but he's also trying to be down with the kids. Yes. Yes, they're trying to be cool, but you know that you know they're still that rich uncle that has way too money and is a bit of a pretentious sod. I mean, look at some yeah. of the names they look at some of the names they had in the paddock this time round. You had people like you know, Richard Branson was obviously representing Virgin, but yeah, guys like Luke Evans, who was apparently an actor, I've never heard of him in my life. Um, he was down there. I mean, look at places like Long Beach, they've had people like uh, Arena Sheik, um, Renardo's ex, um, I would say girlfriend, but it was more like um, casual friend with benefits. Um, <laughs> so I think it seems like a better term. And they've, they've, they've tried very hard to, to come up. Yeah, it's true. I think there is definitely an element of elitism there, even more so than Formula One these days, where... You could see they're trying to appeal to that demographic where Formula is like this uber-pretentious elite club. Oh, we're better than Formula One because we don't have emissions and our cars are electric yes. and this is the future. Yes. It, it Thank you. Preach comes, it, Dre. It definitely comes across to that. And another thing I don't like about it as well, they have to pander to new viewers a lot to explain what this technology is, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard sell. At the moment, they have to explain, well, they're now coming into the pits and they um, have to change entire cars, but still sit there for 60... It's not good, is it? And I'm glad you mentioned the whole alternative... Oh, we're better because alternative technologies. It kind of reminds me of that episode of South Park where everyone buys hybrids and they start (laughs) emitting smug emissions. There's a little bit of that going on. And as I say, I think that was my big problem. I don't mind electric technology as an alternative as a thing going forward in in motoring and racing. It's it's interesting, you know. We're going to get a, an electric GT racing series. There's rumours or talk. There's going to be well, this Robo Race series might be coming out as a as a thing. And um, but what's strange is I'm pretty sure I remember a little while ago coming out of the Formula E camp uh, was talk of or was it from King? You might be able to help me with this. It might be it might have been from the ACO camp. There was actually talk that they saw the future as electric autonomous racing, and I'm like, uh, um, people are yeah. still skeptical about electric racing. People flat out don't want autonomous racing because, I, I as we said before, it, it takes the away the human week, element. Was it in the past week? Lucas Degrassi said that like uh, that basically autonomous racing should be avoided at all costs. Yes, because it kind of, like, literally, I think the problem is we've let the genie out of the bottle in realising the biggest problem with the modern car is the squishy bit behind the wheel. But we're still human. We're not going to get invested in 10 robot cars going around the track. That's a bit like putting your racing video game at home on and just watching the AI race for 10 laps. You wouldn't do that, would you? (laughs) So there's that. And I, I just wonder if they are trying a bit too hard to be the alternative that eventually takes over. Do you know what I mean? I'm like... No, embrace your position as the alternative, as something interesting, something a bit different from Formula One. Um, you know, yeah. embrace okay, the fact Okay, let me get the quote. He didn't say autonomous motorsport. He just said autonomous cars in general threaten motors, motorsport. He's not entirely wrong, but, you know. He's not entirely um, wrong, but I, I, get, I said it before. I think the, the big pull for motorsport in general is, is the humans behind the wheel because those... Yeah, exactly. It's like... No, but I, he's trying to make the statement that if people don't drive cars, then they won't care about motorsport. <sighs> Which is like... That's, that's saying because people don't ride horses, they don't won't care about horse racing. Ish... I don't know. It's hard to say for sure. And, you know, there's the only way you're going to know for sure is if you try it. And, and I think that's the entire point of this. But 
Me, like for me personally, I have no interest in this series. I have no interest in it really, maybe other than seeing it maybe a couple of times. I think it's something that would get very old very quickly. Um, and I feel like the technology is cool, but that is a niche of a niche when it comes to Fallout yeah. Three. And like, I, I do fear that if the organisers believe that's what's going to get their series over, and that's what is going to draw people in, that no, nah, it's all about the technology and it's revolutionary. It's going to be the future of everything. It's like nah people uh, race fans are race fans they're here to watch the best drivers do battle for victory you can't ignore that element and you can't really take that away so surely that's what your main focus should be on going forward yeah without, do you know what I mean without, without question and hey you know it's a technology based series so of course they're going to try things like this That that's their magnum opus ultimately is, is the tech behind the cars and you know the, the, the tech behind that and you know when you when you when you're actually hearing the sounds of the powertrains on video montages on YouTube made by Formula E themselves, you know what they're trying to do, and um, that's pretty much long and the short of it. But for me, I think this season has shown that Formula E hasn't really made that step forward yet, and I think it's going to be another two or three seasons before we do get that step forward. But when they're talking about increasing the power, increasing the downforce, yeah. more development starts starts to open up. It's cool that other factories like 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 you say like Jaguar and Citroen are going around and, and having a go. Um, You've now got Faraday Future joining the yeah, the, the scene as well. Part, yeah, and it, it seems like the battery solution will get ironed out pretty quickly because next season uh they're allowing batteries to be heavier by 30 kilograms from 200 to 230 kilograms and the amount of regeneration that they're allowed is larger instead of being allowed to regenerate you know 100 kilowatts of of power they're allowed to regenerate 150 kilowatts and power levels will remain the same for next year but they'll steadily increase over time by you know next season season three by season five it'll be 250 250 max kilowatts of power yep so the progress is there but it's going to be slow and I fear that the audience may not be there for it to come around. I mean... And do you know what's interesting as well on the technology point? I've heard before, I believe this came out of... Um, I believe Radio Le Mans discussed this at some point. Um, I think... Because there must be people out there wondering, hang on, Tesla are making all these electric road cars. Why aren't they joining in, in Formula E? Apparently, they've... they, I think... I don't know if it was Elon Musk himself or people from the company... They've said the technology in Formula E is not really that relevant at the moment. It's kind of generic. Yeah, it's, so, it's fairly dated. Yeah, it's fairly it's it's outdated tech for a series that's claiming to be the future. <laughs> so like, again, people you know, forget that you know Formula E is still a cost control series. They they have exactly. a cost cap. They're not at the leading edge of anything. And you know what? <laughs> could, that, could that be could that be a problem for the series going forward? It felt like there was a limbo after the first season. Because they always said, oh, well, the first season it's going to be spec cars. But don't worry, after the, uh, in season two, they're going to be allowed open development and they're going to be allowed to do this and that and, you know, all the stuff for the batteries and that will be opened up. But it's almost like at the end of the first season, they realised how good the actual on-track product was and were kind of like, oh, do we want this to be ruined with open development? Maybe? I don't know. Hang on. And they kind of came into the sort of... Um, you know, the crux that many motorsport series hit on, which is purity versus entertainment. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Could that be a thing? I Like, to most people, performance isn't 
necessarily a reason to buy electric cars. You buy it because of the efficiency, because you know <laughs> that you're going to spend this much money and it's not going to cost you that much in fuel and it's and and it's going to be fairly affordable for you to maintain. Like buying an electric car for performance is very rare and usually the people who buy that can afford to get a Tesla and then again you're not really shopping around and these manufacturers who make electric cars don't compete in Formula E mm. yeah that's very fair um, also a couple, of, a couple of quick questions going to find them real quick as well also want to mention one thing before we move on as well before we, we wrap this show up roughly John Eric Verne is uh, leaving the series I did, I did not realise this until today yes, that, he's uh, leaving. John Eric Verne is leaving um, the DS Virgin Racing team what next for him? I know. Um, uh, shout out to big shout out to Joshua Sitzel who actually offered me tickets to this Grand Prix, and I, I ended up turning them down so I could film this episode of the podcast instead. But I want to say a big fa- thanks to. Wow, jo- your commitment to the podcast is unquestionable. Yeah, I, t- I turned down free tickets to Formula E so I could so I could be here. So, but but I want to say a big hearty thanks to Josh for actually offering them up for free for me and for up to four people. Um, that's how generous he was. Um, so thanks, Josh. Means a lot. Really appreciate appreciate that mate um kudos to you sir your generosity is uh is amazing so thank you for that um but he also asked the question is what where next for jeff and uh, i'd love to hear you guys take on that i don't know i heard murmurs that he could be replacing esteban gutierrez at haas but those were just you know very fairly <laughs> baseless rumors yeah convenient rumors i like to call them it's like, oh, well, Vern drives for, 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 you know, Vern's a Ferrari guy, and, you know, Esteban's not been good, and, you know, you know, they could do with another guy from the Ferrari set up in there, so, you know, put two and two together and get 22. Um, seems like that to me. I don't know for Jeff, to be honest, maybe something in sports car racing could be next for him if he, if he so chooses. I mean, I'd just like to make a little point. Go on. Um... He did drive with Andretti in his first season of Formula E. Uh, here and we go. Was he not involved in some sort of test with IndyCar when he finished in F1? Well, there's there's also another interesting thing that Andretti have only signed one driver for next season, and his name is Robin Friends, and they haven't, you know, confirmed Simona Di Silvestro will be returning either. Yeah, so yes, mm-hmm. I think Robin Friends is clearly the man in that team, and let's be real here I know which is don't get me wrong I love Simona she's a she's a very very likeable woman she will she has been disappointing this year very disappointing this season yeah Uh, it's a shame yeah like and obviously we're losing the the Aguri team altogether which is a shame as well Um, they will be moving they're being sold to a Chinese investor they will be on the grid next year yeah just you know the Aguri team as we know it who by the way one of the most fan friendly teams you will ever see in motorsport I mean how much money do they lose in just giving away merchandise maybe that was part of the problem King (laughs) (laughs) I don't know they they sold their team to investors so I assume they made money selling the team I, I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I, I hope so. But um, I've got a couple of formula related questions as well. Here's another one as well. That I think um, Connor makes a very good point, and that's Nor, Nor the Dragon on Twitter. So shout out to Nor, uh, one of our big time listeners. Can we really expect anyone to be Edams? <laughs> Probably oh, not. God. Uh, 
DS version is going to have to pull something out of the bag. It's going to be one of the manufacturers, to be honest. It's going to be DS version. I highly doubt it's going to be Jaguar. They, they, they first well, seen out the box. Scratch. Yeah, they're starting from you scratch. You think they'll be coming like Reno in one? Yeah. This is a shame. As I know that um, also Marcus playing off of that asked, who do you expect to lead Jaguar's assault on Formula E? And I'm like, I honestly have no idea at this point. Jeff? Jeff? <laughs> Jev, <laughs> you know, the convenient hire, just go straight for Jev and just say, yeah, Jev, you're our guy, we'll come to Jaguar, we'll, we'll put you in green, we'll put you in some Tom Hiddleston commercials, it'll be lit. <laughs> you know, the, the hot English guy and the hot Frenchman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the team the ladies are going to love. Yes. <laughs> Think of the sex appeal king. It sells, <laughs> it sells merchandise. <laughs> for the ladies. It really, really does, it really does, but... um. Just before we go, after talking about Formula E, this, this epic edition of the podcast, um, I have to say, I have a new hero on, on two wheels, and that name is Keenan Safogalu. Um, oh my Christ, <laughs> this guy. This, this is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in motorsport. Now, for those guys that aren't aware, Kawasaki last year released this unbelievable bit of technology. It was called the Kawasaki Ninja H2R. Now, what's special about this bike is that it is a 320-horsepower bike. Now, to put that into context, a MotoGP bike produces about 250 horsepower normally, so the most powerful prototype bikes in the world have only got about 70% of the power of this thing. So yeah, this is basically I think, I think the Bugatti the same, Veyron of bikes. Yeah, it, it, it had, what, it was a one-liter engine, so about the same capacity as... Oh, a, a MotoGP bike, but you strap a supercharger onto that. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're, you're, you're three hundred and twenty brake horsepower per liter. That's <laughs> that's that, that's that's terrifying. That, that's something you don't get in the in the highest of hypercars these days. But yes, a three hundred and twenty horsepower bike with a supercharger attached to it. If, if you think that sounds crazy, it is. I'll, I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that it, it was absolutely ridiculous. He's uh, they they they've um, they've tested it over a bridge. I can't remember exactly where it is. I don't know, um, King. Do you remember uh, where it is? Yeah, it's, it was in Turkey. That's why they wanted to fly. Yeah, it's like a country it, of Turkey. Cause and it was, I think, pretty close to Istanbul. I think it's twenty-ish miles outside the city. It was a new yeah. bridge. It was it was opened later that day. Yeah, what, what a way to break it in. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, guys, just, just going to test this bike over it. How fast is it going to go? Um, we're planning about, you know, 250 miles an hour. Um, yes, and that's exactly what happened. Keenan Safoglu reached 250 miles an hour on this bike, which is, I think, one of the most incredible... I, I, I can't wrap my head around this because... This is mind-boggling stuff. The MotoGP all-time speed record is 217 miles an hour. It was set by Andrea De Vizioso this year during the Qatar Grand Prix, where he hit 350 clicks. The first time, actually, only the second time ever that 350 kilometers an hour as a milestone had been crossed. Marquez did it, did it at that same place a year before. But that, that was 217 he just hit 250 on a production bike. I mean, do you know what I've just? Do you know what I found most amazing? I mean, find the video of this, by the way, because it is like nothing you've ever seen before. It knocks I'm, any I'm, on board. I'm making a highlight and I'm putting the video in the background. If copyright will let me, <laughs> do it, do it, man. Like literally, it's mind-boggling. It's like all the scariest Isle of Man TT on boards rolled into one. Oh, and here's the most staggering part. Dre told me this before we went on the air. Mm. Um, 
the tires were blown up to their maximum inflation to try and get the speed run done and the run had to be completed in 30 seconds yes otherwise after that chances of a blowout became quote very high Safoglu managed it in 26 seconds another four seconds and he was likely going to end up in the sea but e- like yeah even so that's not to 250 miles an hour in 26 seconds this is jaw-dropping. It's, it's unbelievable to even contemplate this is a thing. And <laughs> as, as I quite rightly said, that, you know, the odds of a blowout are incredibly high. And if you remember MotoGP in testing, Loris Baz had that blowout at Malaysia at 180 down their front straight. And I was terrified watching, watching the onboards of that because imagine you're going at 190 miles an hour and the tyre blows out and you have no control of your bike at all and now you've got Kian Safogli on a production bike over a bridge <laughs> doing 250 miles an hour in 26 seconds Kian Safogli you're a hero uh, unbelievable congratulations he did not get off that bike and walk off he bounced off it that was how big <laughs> he had testicles the size of space hoppers getting off that thing unbelievable Kian Safogli you are a hero you're a national hero to Turkey you waved the Turkish flag on the way back and rightly so um, unbelievable you, you sir are un- unreal unreal he's already a legend as a four time world super sport champion he's an incredible bike rider and this is this is a, a world record that's worthy of talking about on this show because holy shit a man just drove a bike at 250 miles an hour over a bridge and that is fucking awesome so Keenan Safogadu congratulations congratulations to Kawasaki what an, what an amazing piece of engineering as well to have a production bike that can do things like that where I, I saw people ride it in review views and telling me that oh they can do 200 miles an hour without even blinking on and on Qatar's home straight you can just be an average guy doing that so an oh unbelievable, unbelievable engineering unbelievable achievement congratulations to Kawasaki and all of them and that's our show for this week and um yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this marathon edition um this again this show continues to be a pleasure to put together and um we're getting close to episode 50. Holy crap. That's going to be another master really course coming up soon as well. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Any minor stories we'll obviously do on next week's show. So forgive us on this one for doing this one as fast as we did. I did have a whole rant about Top Gear's ratings lined up, but hey, I think we can wait on that we'll one. We'll save it for the season finale next week because that's playing. That's just finished right now, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll play that out soon. But um, we'll probably say that for next week. So show now the series is finished. That's actually probably makes sense to have it there instead. But, um, again thank you guys for listening really appreciate it if you, if you don't know where you can find us already we're on Patreon if you want to really really back us we're now on Redbubble that's redbubble.com forward slash motorsport 101 if you want to check out our merch on there you can follow us on Twitter at Ryan Eric King at AJ underscore Bomber Sports and me at Harrison 101 HD and also we're on YouTube for highlights and other exclusive content including the Dre Brief series which I'm very very proud of thanks for everybody for the feedback on that one because I'm really glad the Lorenzo episode turned out as well as it did I'm really proud of that one um, so thanks for that as well so hopefully more of those to come soon I'm, I am I, I can pump out a video in a day now which is really nice so I, I can just do it if I feel like it one day which is really cool um, so thanks everyone for subscribing over there we're nearly at 750 subscribers so thanks everybody for that Actually, we have just hit 750 subscribers. How about that? So, hey, so thanks everybody for that. That's, that means a lot. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate that. And of course, thank you as ever for listening. Um, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Adam Johnson and Ryan King. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next week. Till then, well, actually, maybe not next week. 
we'll see. Sayonara. Thanks, I'm not ready.